trusting in a love that will not let us go. We pick up where we left off in this morning's reading at verse 11, with Elijah out in the wilderness asking God to take away his life because everything seems to have gone awry. But God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken the covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram, and you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. But I will leave you 7,000 in Israel." all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I have heard people say that God is the gift of desperation, says Anne Lamott. She continues, there's a lot to be said for having really reached the bottom where you've run out of any good ideas or any ideas for what other people should do or how to save and fix and rescue or just get out of a huge mess, possibly of your own creation. And when you're done doing all of that, she says, you may take a long quivering breath and finally say, help. She writes, people say, help without actually believing that anyone or anything hears it. But it is a great prayer, she says. It's perhaps the hardest prayer, because to pray it, you have to admit defeat. You have to surrender, which is the hardest thing that most of us will ever do, ever. And for those of us who have lived lives of relative comfort and privilege, 
it can be pretty easy to say that we don't actually need any help. We're good, we say. We can handle it. I'll be the first to admit that asking for help doesn't come naturally. Even as a pastor, I will sometimes Google something for hours before thinking, oh, maybe I could ask God about this. Experiences of success can lead us to believe that we have, in fact, arrived on the heels of our own hard work and intellect and connections and sometimes just sheer grit. Elijah had certainly stepped into that kind of space of success. If we had read 1 Kings 18, the story right before this one, we would know that Elijah is revered among the prophets. He had impressed and, in fact, intimidated the king with his abilities. And he had just, in the previous chapter, won what I would call a major throwdown between the God of Israel and the gods of Baal, and he had conquered all of the rival priests. By resume and accomplishments, Elijah was riding high. And it's easy in those circumstances to forget the source, the God who calls and guides and provides, and to believe that we've gotten here all on our own or that we are, in fact, invincible. But Elijah had no more named his success that he found himself in more than a little bit of trouble. When King Ahab's wife Jezebel heard about Elijah's accomplishments, she was more than a bit displeased that he had bested the priests of her god, Baal. And suddenly, Elijah's success turned into a huge liability as Jezebel put out a bounty on Elijah's head. Here he was, this successful prophet, suddenly on the run, afraid and feeling totally helpless. He had no sooner let his victory sink in that he found himself in the desert praying, I have done all I can, God, just take away my life. How quickly sometimes the tides turn. This accomplished prophet Elijah had no ability to imagine a way out of the mess he found himself in than death itself. And yet this gift of desperation as Anne Lamott called it, led Elijah to surrender back to the God who created and cared for him and to pray, help me. Now, my suspicion is that most of you haven't orchestrated a battle of the gods, and I hope that most of you don't have a bounty put out on your head, but if you live in this world long enough, there will be a time when praying, I need help, is the only prayer that you know how to pray. Maybe it's because of a health crisis or a car accident or an unexpected death or a job loss. Maybe it's because parenting is hard or you don't know where to turn when you're caring for a loved one. Maybe it's because of a falling out with a friend or because you're just so stressed out that your hair is falling out. Maybe it's because a mental health issue has led you to believe that you aren't worthy of love or help or joy. Or maybe it's just because sometimes life is hard and you're really tired. And when those times come, not if but when, it helps to know that you are not the first nor the last person to turn to God in prayer and say, I need 
help. But being in need isn't easy, and saying I need out loud, I need help out loud is even harder. When I was a campus minister at Duke, I led an annual spring break mission trip with college students each year. And we went to places in the world where poverty was overwhelming and life was terribly hard. And each year, I required the students to write letters seeking support for the trip. Now, on the one hand, the trip costs money, and uh, most college students didn't have money, and so it was a practical necessity that we do this. But my reason for having them write letters was deeper. Before they could be uh, allowed to step into a setting where they were going to be the one with the power to help, they needed to understand the vulnerability that's required for someone to ask for help in the first place. To help someone in need, they needed to know what it felt like to be in need and how God can show up in those spaces. So one year I had a student come to my office with a $1,500 check that her mom had sent her. It was to cover the whole cost of the mission trip to Haiti that we were going on. And she walked in very proudly and she said, here's my trip money, now I don't have to write letters. And I looked at her and I thanked her mom for that generous gift to the ministry. And I told her, your letters are due on Friday. And she came back at me and she goes, no, maybe you don't understand. This money is so that I don't have to write the letters. She had lived this life of great privilege and resource, and it was clear that she was absolutely mortified to ask anyone for help, let alone money. But I wasn't going to let her off the hook. And so we sat down together and we started brainstorming names of people in her community, roommates, sorority sisters, friends, sweet church ladies back home, people that she could write to ask to give or to pray for her on this trip. And I made clear to her that I knew many of them wouldn't or couldn't give anything, but I didn't want her to go to Haiti and try to help others without having known what it feels like to be in need. Because it turns out that when we're in a place of need, when we have to pray, help me to God, or ask help of our community, we open ourselves up to what God might do. Anne Lamott, in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, says, a lot of the time we don't know that we're, when we're surrendering that we're actually at the same time establishing connection to a power greater than ourselves. Or something, she says, in one concentric circle of help outside of the circle of me. And that's where help begins. We often feel ashamed of asking for so much help because it feels selfish or petty or narcissistic. But I think, she writes, that if there is a God, and I believe that there is, that God is there to help. That's what God's job is, she says. Elijah could have been one of my college students or one of us sitting here today. He'd been faithful in so many ways. He had the skills to do what he was called to do well, better than any other prophet of the day. But all that faithfulness didn't prevent him from being in need. 
And in that moment, the text shows us what it looks like for him to lean back to God for help, to return to the source. And what he found was a God who didn't answer his prayer and take away his life, but a God who heard his prayer and saved his life through provision, presence, and people. God's help, as we heard in the reading this morning, begins at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. First and foremost, God addresses Elijah's physiological needs. Elijah's on the run. He finally finds a place to lie down and rest, and when he wakes up, an angel, a messenger from God, has provided him there in the desert with cakes and water. A friend of mine once said that God understands that all good care begins with a snack and a nap. Elijah was exhausted and hungry, and he was not going to be able to receive any kind of spiritual help from God until his physical needs were met. And so God begins with provision. And something about that rings just wonderfully true, right? Anytime someone in our congregation is facing some measure of hardship, usually the first thing we ask is, can we bring you a meal? It's like we understand that responding to the prayer, help me, begins with a casserole. But God's response to Elijah's prayer for help moves from those basic needs to the more spiritual needs. And God sends Elijah out to Horeb, to the mountain of God, and in this story that's familiar with many of us, to many of us, Elijah waits, wondering whether God's going to show up or what God's going to do. He looks for God, like all of us do, in signs and symbols around him, in the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And just when he's about to believe that God might not show up at all, God's presence is made known in the sound of sheer silence. And perhaps you're thinking, what kind of an answer is that? Perhaps you've prayed before, wanting to hear something in return, hoping for clarity or a solution or peace, and it feels like you've received nothing. Silence. And sometimes it feels like our prayers go unanswered by God, like the help for which we've prayed doesn't come. And sometimes the answers come in ways that we cannot see or understand in the moment, and it might be many years before we can understand that act of God's provision. But for Elijah, there is something in the sound of sheer silence that leads him deeper into relationship with God, that causes him not just to trust the Lord, but to venture out to the edge of the mountain to lean back into relationship with the source. It wasn't just a nap and a snack. Divine presence was an answer to prayer. And for Elijah, that divine presence opened his heart to receive what comes next, which is God's provision of people. His fear becomes transformed into a future. His cry for help reconnected him to God in a way that renewed his ability to live out that call and to surround him with people that let him move forward. God did not spare Elijah from a difficult path. 
And the trouble he was running from did not miraculously disappear. In fact, he had to go back and face those that he had run from. But God gave Elijah people, and ultimately a friend in Elisha, so that he is not alone as he navigates the future. And it's the people part where praying help me often comes to life. During the pandemic, uh, Wait and I started FaceTiming on Friday evenings with friends of ours in Virginia. Okay, we called it Face Wine. It was a way to be social when there wasn't anywhere to go. And we've kept up with it occasionally since then. And I will admit that um, on Friday about noon, there was no end to this sermon. You all were going to be here for a really long time. But sometimes God provides through people, and we called these friends this past Friday. And the friend shared this story with me that I share now with you. He, he told us that 10 days before Christmas, he had been laid off from his job. And after his wife and daughter left for work the next day, he, he sat at home and he admits that he just cried. He wondered if they were going to be okay, if he needed to return all of their Christmas presents, what they were supposed to do. He made it all the way down the spiral to why me. And as he reflected, he shared with us that he realized that he had made his job his idol, a source of pride, but a position that he had put above everything else in the past couple of years, including his family, including God. And as he and his wife navigated the holiday and began the new year, he realized that his only way forward, like Elijah's, was to return to the source, to start again at the beginning and to get right in his relationship with God. He said, I don't like asking for help, but that's what he prayed. And it was both an admission that he needed help and an affirmation of faith that God would help him be okay. He hasn't found a job yet. But in an act of humility, he has spent the last month on what I have called a help-me tour. In business, we call it networking. He has been asking for help from everyone, from God, from his friends, from church members, from his pastor, from business connections. And he said of the 50 people He's asked for help by way of connections or support or advice or just straight out asking for a job. Only two of them haven't replied. It's required a lot of humility, but he shared what a blessing those connections have been so much that he wondered, why haven't I been doing this all along? So his prayer hasn't yet been answered in the way that he hoped. But holy help has come in provision and presence and above all in people. And the end of my sermon has come as well. Hearing Elijah's story may not make it any easier for any of us to say or to pray, I need help. But Elijah's story is a reminder that praying such a prayer doesn't mean that our problems will be miraculously fixed or that an answer will come in the way we expect, but that we are once again invited into a connection with the source 
And when we do, God's provision comes in surprising and unexpected ways. So may it be so. Amen.